Side Hustle Show 249. It's SaaS case study time. How Snappa bootstrapped their way from no idea to $33,000 in monthly recurring revenue in two years. What's up? What's up? Nick Loper here. Welcome to the Side Hustle Show because no matter how you slice it, your day job just doesn't scale. Thank you so much for tuning in today for the thrilling conclusion of our recurring revenue theme for the month. So far, we've heard from a subscription box entrepreneur, a vacation rental owner and property manager. And last week, we sat down with Russ Perry, the founder of Design Pickle, a productized service in the graphic design space that's now doing over $400,000 in monthly recurring revenue. This week, and there's a reason this is the finale of the series, I'm joined by Christopher Gimmer. He's the co-founder of Snappa.com. It's an online tool that lets you create perfectly sized social media graphics all by yourself. And the reason I chose to put this one last is I think it's the most complex. It's software, which on the one hand is the holy grail of side hustle business models, right? Because once it's built, you can theoretically sell it over and over again for almost no incremental cost. But I think it's rare to come out of the gate and build a software product as your first venture. In this episode, you'll hear from Chris kind of the evolutionary process that led to Snappa, how they researched and validated the idea before investing in building it, how they got their first customers, and what's worked well since then to market the product to more than $30,000 in monthly recurring revenue. Notes and links for this one, along with a free downloadable PDF highlight reel summary, are at SideHustleNation.com slash Snappa. It's S-N-A-P-P-A. I'll be back with my top takeaways from this chat with Chris after the interview. Ready? Let's do it. Yeah, so Snappa definitely was, like you mentioned, a a bit of an evolutionary process. So it kind of begins where we were basically working on this other side hustle, which then became our our full-time called Bootstrap Bay. And it was basically a marketplace for web design themes and templates. And the way that we were growing that business was primarily through content marketing and SEO. So I was creating a lot of content for that website. And every time I needed to create images, it was just a bit of a hassle. So that's kind of where I had the first seed of the idea for Snappa. But like you said, SaaS is, is really complicated. And I knew that for like a very low price tool, it would have been really difficult to, to kind of start with that out of the gate. So an interesting thing happened. One of the blog posts I wrote on on that Bootstrap A blog was where to find free stock photos because I was on Reddit and I found a thread where someone had mentioned a lot of these are like really nice websites for free stock photos. And so what I did was, like I said, just created a really thorough, very lengthy piece of content promoting these these stock photo sites. And then I kind of promoted it across various websites and, and, and channels. And it ended up going viral on StumbleUpon out of all places. And I figured that after a while that the traffic would kind of die down. But that blog post ended up ranking on the first page of Google for free stock photos, which was kind of interesting. Which is a big search term. Which is a big search term. Yeah, there's hundreds of thousands of searches for things like free stock photos, free stock images, and that kind of stuff. So I was kind of looking at this thinking like, wow, we're, we're getting all this traffic and then we're just sending it to, to all these different stock photo sites. And what was interesting was that none of them had at the time any search functionality. So they're, they're posting these like really nice new style of stock photography, which back in the day was mostly like these cheesy stock photo sites, whereas now you're kind of seeing these, this evolution of, of the stock photography. And so I thought, you know, why don't we just build our own and actually tag the photos and make them searchable 
And by building this site, we could either use it as a way of hopefully promoting Snappa, which we're kind of thinking about at the time, or worst case scenario, we would have you know a high traffic site with a lot of stock photos on it. Okay, so you've got this blog post that ends up going viral, ends up ranking on Google, and your thought is like, well, why we're getting all this traffic and then we're sending, we're doing nothing with it. We're just sending it off to these other stock photo sites. Like, why don't we build our own? Yeah, exactly. Did you think there was money in that? Or was that just like, well, this is, this is going to be a cool project? Because it sounds like that's not, <laughs> it doesn't sound like a simple undertaking and something that sounds like, especially manually tagging all the pictures, like a pretty time consuming thing. At the time, the business we we're working on, Bootstrap Bay, we, we had kind of gotten to the point where we had almost maxed out our traffic in terms of an SEO play. And we were basically selling other people's code. And so at that time, we were kind of looking to get into something that was a bit more proprietary. And we, we were just kind of looking at, at the next thing. So when it comes to the stock photo site, like I mentioned, we thought that that could be used to promote Snappa. And in the worst case scenario, there was just so much traffic and, and so much search volume around that, we figured there would have been some other use case for it. I mean, we could have done put ads on the website. We could have done some affiliate stuff with some of the paid stock photo sites. So we just had this feeling that it would have been really useful for us to, to actually go ahead and, and build this thing. Okay. So what happens next? So Snappa is still just a, a glimmer in your eye, an idea in your head at this point. I mean, that's still that's still kind of a leap to go from this marketplace to this blog post to this stock photo site to saying, okay, I'm going to build a software product that helps people do social media graphics. Yeah. So basically what happened next is, like I said, we, we were still getting all this traffic to this blog post. And then we actually went ahead and built this stock photo site. And of course, it was really easy to, to kind of market it because we can just insert it into the, ex into the existing blog post that we had. Yeah, this is now like number one on the list, right? Yeah, exactly. And we also launched it on Product Hunt and it got like over a thousand upvotes, if, if I remember correctly. So that, that gave it a nice big, big spike in the beginning. Okay. So, you know, luckily it, it paid off. We actually did start getting a lot of traffic to the site. And then what we started doing was capturing emails. So we, we put a very simple email capture that said, put your email here and we'll send you like the, the best stock photos every week or, or something to that effect. We ended up building a bit of an email list. And at this point, I wanted to start to validate the idea of Snappa. So what I did was initially I sent out a survey basically asking people what they were using the stock photos for and kind of like what their role was within their company and that kind of stuff. And so sure enough, a lot of people were using the photos for content marketing, social media. They had titles like content marketer, social media manager, that kind of stuff. Okay. And a lot of small business owners, actually, that was, was shocking to see how many small business owners were, were using these stock photos. And then basically, then I kind of did a follow up where I actually interviewed them via just like Skype. And I wanted to get a sense of what tools were they currently using? What was their process currently like for creating graphics? Just getting a sense of whether they actually had pain points as well, or, or whether I was the only one who had this specific problem. Were you following kind of the, the Dane Maxwell idea extraction method from, from the foundation? Or what, I mean, did you have a, like a list of a script or a list of questions that you were going to go through? At the time, I can't remember exactly, but I know that if I was to do customer development today, I would follow the, the there's a book called Lean Customer Development 
and it's actually really, really good. And it kind of helps you avoid biases and asking leading questions and that kind of stuff. But what I was basically looking for at that time was I just wanted to know whether people were having the same issues that I was having. And I was trying not to be like, hey, are you having this issue? Because, you know, they might say yes, just to make me feel good about myself. So the questions I asked were more along the lines of what tools are you currently using for graphics? What is your current process for getting a graphic created for your blog post? How long does it take for these graphics to be created? And I was just listening for things like, oh, I'm using this tool, but like it's a it's a real pain or yeah, we have a graphic designer in house, but it's taking like two days for them to turn around the graphic. And after doing about 15 or 20 of these audio interviews, I, I did start hearing these things and it was enough to kind of validate my hypothesis that for a, a content marketer or a social media person who doesn't need to create like the most stellar graphic in the world, they just want something that looks good and that they can create really quickly. Because most of the stuff has kind of a finite lifespan. Like I need something for Facebook or I need something for Twitter and or I need something for Pinterest and then like it's gone, you know, then it's it's pushed down the feed and it's, and it's over. So it doesn't make sense to spend a crazy amount of time on it. Exactly. There's there's certain things where you should be using a graphic designer. If you need a logo or you have some like really important branding documents that you need created, then for sure, you definitely want to use a professional in that sense. But like you said, for a social media that's going to disappear in a feed in like probably like two minutes nowadays, it just doesn't make sense to waste too much time creating that graphic. Okay. So you do the interviews, you've kind of got an idea, okay, there, we might be onto something here. And so you turn to your, your co-founder, you're the marketing guy, co-founder is the tech side, the coding side, say, hey, is this feasible? Like, is this something you could build? Yeah, that's kind of how it first began. <laughs> I'm not following lean customer development. I'm leading you right now. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 that's, uh, no that's, that's good. Yeah, that's, I mean, while I was kind of doing these, these interviews, I mean, I've all, we were kind of having discussions of, I think there's something there with this easy to use graphic design tool. And so learning from our previous mistakes of not validating business ideas and, and building things that people didn't want, we were trying to avoid that as much as possible. Okay. Well, <laughs> tell me about something that you built that people didn't want. <laughs> so I actually used to DJ in, in university. And so I had a lot of connections with nightclubs. And so we thought that a lot of nightclubs are still managing their guest list with like pen and paper. And so obviously as tech people or whatever, we're like, that's ridiculous. They should have like a nice system with iPad and get notifications and all that kind of stuff. So we ended up building this. It was actually a really, really awesome guest list system. And after we built it, they still kept doing the, the pen and paper thing because it's just what they've always been done. And they're just too lazy to, to learn how to use this new software tool. So we ended up wasting quite a lot of time building that. Yeah, it was a little tough to kind of disrupt their existing system was too well entrenched. Or didn't you didn't do the 15 to 20 Skype interviews to figure out what they really wanted? Yeah, exactly. And that's that's the problem with software is sometimes people will look at people doing something with pen and paper. And it doesn't necessarily mean that like software could make it more efficient, but it certainly doesn't mean that they're actually going to start using the software instead of their current process. A lot of people talk about competitors and your competitor might be Excel or Microsoft Word or, you know, a notebook. And so that's something that you definitely have to be careful of. Right. Yeah. There's, yeah, you got to figure out what, what are you replacing? You know, what is your tool taking the place of? Okay. 
When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search and hit the ground running with your new hire. But what if you could get rid of the search part and just get matched with qualified candidates? Well, now you can with our sponsor, Indeed. It's simple. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. The matching and hiring platform is trusted by over 3.5 million businesses worldwide to connect with great talent faster. And 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. For my next hire, I'm using Indeed to tap into a talent pool of 350 million unique monthly visitors. And what else is cool is Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets. And how about this? Side Hustle Show listeners get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show. Just go to Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. If you travel a lot for work or for vacation, you might be familiar with that feeling you get knowing you're leaving your space unused for long periods of time and you're still paying for that privilege. But hosting on Airbnb means you don't have to leave your home sitting empty when you're away. Being an Airbnb host isn't just a way to earn some extra cash. It's a chance to share your space and make a guest's vacation all the more memorable. You might be thinking, eh, maybe my place isn't the right fit, but don't write it off just yet your potential Airbnb might be right in front of you. Whether it's a spare room or even your entire home, there's an opportunity waiting. Airbnb turns your home into a practical and even profitable venture. We just got back from a family trip to Hawaii where we stayed in a great Airbnb, but our place back home could have been a highlight to somebody else's travels, and we could have used the extra cash to help pay for the trip. So if you're curious about hosting on Airbnb, find out how much your space could be worth by visiting airbnb.com slash host. Once again, that's airbnb.com slash host. So what happens next? So at this point, we're somewhat reasonably confident that if we build this thing, it's actually going to be used. So basically at that point, we set up a landing page and on our stock photo site at stocksnap.io, if I remember correctly, we basically put some kind of banner ad or some kind of call to action on the site that basically said, if you're trying to create online graphics, check out this tool. And so that led them to the landing page for Snappa. And so we started collecting emails over the two or three months that we were building out the initial prototype. And then what we did was, we basically sent out a demo link to the people that had signed up for that email list. We still hadn't officially launched it at this point. Just trying to get some feedback, whether we were on the right track, whether they were kind of liking what we were building and that sort of thing. Okay. And this is like summer 2015 at this point? Yeah, that's correct. So then we basically launched a our initial beta on, it was July 1st, 2015. And I remember because it was Canada Day, kind of a stupid, stupid day to launch the beta, but that's when it was. We basically had this like two or three month process where we were just gathering our feedback, trying to improve the product as much as possible and trying to get a sense of what are the absolute critical features that that we need to launch with before we can start charging and what are the things that we can kind of wait and improve as we go. And so we basically created like a hard list of, okay, we need to build these three things. Soon as those are done, we're going to launch the product. And anything after that, we'll just build it later as we go. Okay. And in your case, what were those three? These are like the three key features. So saving was one of them. 
And I think the templates was another thing because one of the biggest problems was people would log into the software and it was basically like a blank canvas. And for someone who's not a designer, that's very overwhelming. So we basically needed to have some sort of starting templates that, that they could go off of. Okay. So templates, being able to save your, your work. And what was the third one? I think alignment was another one. So basically you can, right now, if you have like, let's say a text box, you can have it auto aligned both horizontally and vertically, whereas before that like wasn't really possible. So it was kind of hard to to make sure that your stuff was like centered properly and that sort of stuff. Okay. Okay. All right. So beta launch July 1st, are you taking any revenue from it at this point? Are you charging customers for it at this point? Or you just say, Hey, we're just looking for feedback. Yeah. So at this point we're not charging, we're looking for feedback and we're trying to prioritize and figure out what are like the absolute critical things where someone would feel comfortable paying us money as long as we had these key features. And so that lasted until I think it was November. Yeah, so November, end of November. And then at that point, we officially launched and then we had uh, basically a free plan and a premium plan. And then that's when we actually started charging for the product and obviously emailing it out to to the list and that sort of thing. Do you remember how many opt-ins you'd generated at that point, like for the for the beta list and then for this November launch? So for the beta launch, it was, I think it was around 1500. That's the amount of people that we were collecting from like the stock photo site that that had opted in. Okay. And then once Snappa was kind of live, I'm going to say maybe around 5,000 or something like that, that we had before we officially launched, or maybe even a bit more than that. Okay. Where were those extra people coming from? Also from stock snap? In the early days, almost all of our traffic were coming from StockSnap or or that blog post that we had published on Bootstrap A. And anyone that I would have kind of just reached out to personally and say, hey, check this out. Let me know what you think. Okay. What happened was like, you know, the floodgates open and 5,000 people check their email and they're like, yes, I must buy this. <laughs> so we were we were really scared at this time because we were, like I had mentioned with, with the last side hustle we're working on. I mean, it was profitable, but we weren't making like tons of cash here. And we were both leaving like pretty high paying jobs uh, in the government. So we were kind of betting, you know, we had a lot invested into Snappa, like this was this was going to be the thing. Yeah. So what we did was for the first week, we basically did a promo where if you upgrade your account for this first week, we will give it to you for $10 a month or $90 a year. So we gave, you know, obviously an incentive. And we ended up getting 250 people upgrading in that first week. So it was about, I think, like two or two or $3,000 of, of monthly recurring revenue in that in that first week launch. And it, it felt really good. That's great. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's awesome. It sounds like you did, you did it right with not having to pay an external developer. You know, you had somebody kind of on, on your team or somebody who's doing it for equity, basically. And then building this email list, kind of leveraging the assets that you have and then putting it out there, kind of an incentive, an early adopter incentive and to go from zero to two or three grand in recurring revenue right out of the gate is is pretty sweet. Yeah, I mean, that's basically what we tried to do that whole time was just, especially as like a as a bootstrapper and not having funding, you, you just have to leverage everything that you can. So if you have an existing audience or existing traffic sources and just tried, we just tried to de-risk it as much as possible. 
So right now, so I'm on the snappa.com pricing page and I notice you guys have the free starter plan and then kind of you highlight the pro plan for $10 a month billed annually, so $120 a year. I'm curious, you know, about the freemium model, like what the numbers look like for people who are coming on, you know, what the user base looks like today and we'll get into, you know, how you market it and stuff, but like <laughs> the percentage of people who upgrade or all this stuff like do most people start on the free plan and give it a test drive yeah so the way so the way we have it set up basically is every whenever you create an account you automatically start on the the free plan and then obviously if you want to upgrade from there then you can do that the thing with graphic design is you might just need to create that one-off graphic. You might only need to create two graphics a month. So those people will are, are never going to pay us money if they only need to use Snappa like once or twice a month. And on the other hand, I think nowadays it's very, very rare to see software, pro unless you're talking about enterprise, it's very rare to see products where you have to like pay before signing up. So we thought that rather than giving like a limited time free trial, it just made more sense to do freemium so that if someone is only going to use the tool once or twice a month, they're never going to pay for the product anyway. So better off to have them using the software and then maybe they'll tell their friends about it or kind of spread the word kind of thing. And then if they do have a you know an ongoing need for the product and they need some of the premium features then you know they can go ahead and upgrade have you guys always been kind of centered on that ten dollar a month price point for the paid plans or have you experimented with different prices there yeah so we we just did the ten dollars a month in that first week and then we jumped it up to fifteen dollars a month and we've pretty much been at that price point there's a really good article on the Price Intelligently blog if people are interested in pricing. And so what they do is you ask the person four questions to try to anchor a potential price point. So you would ask the person, at what, at what point is this product too expensive that you would never consider using? At what price point is it too cheap where you'd question the quality? Then at what price point is it a little expensive, but you would still pay for it? And at what price point do you think it, you're you're getting a, a good deal? So we actually kind of did that and it did kind of work out to around that $15 a month price point. We also looked around at kind of the, the competitive landscape. You look at Photoshop, some of the other graphic design tools, and it just seemed that that's really where a tool like ours fits in as, as much as we want to charge more than that. Okay. That's where we felt comfortable in terms of the value that the service is providing. And we, we wanted to make it like a no-brainer, essentially. So yeah, I, I was on the yearly thing. Okay, and if I toggle to monthly, I see the $15 a month there. And um, we'll link up that price intelligently blog, those four questions to anchor pricing. I like that. Thank you for sharing that, Chris. I'm curious, so once somebody signs up for the free plan, is there like an, you know, an onboarding sequence to try and get people to upgrade? Or is it just like, hey, use the tool. If you end up using it more than a few times a month, I think we, you'll see value in it and it makes sense to upgrade on your own. Or is there like a concerted autoresponder trying to like get people to pay you? Yeah, so there's a couple things that we do. So number one, obviously we have the upgrade button at the top nav bar. And then obviously there's certain features. So in addition to usage, there's certain features that are, are premium. So for example, if someone clicks like the add custom font button, they would get a modal that says, this is a premium feature. Click here to see pricing and upgrade. Uh, okay. So we kind of have a few of these like upgrade triggers throughout the app and those tend to do really well. 
And the other thing through is, is, uh, is through the email marketing. So we use Drip. And so we kind of track people's behavior. So if we see that people are actually using the app, but we haven't upgraded yet, then we'll kind of try to nudge them towards that. Whereas if we see that they haven't been using the app at all, we try to nudge them to just get in the app and then hopefully try to get them to upgrade later on. The biggest thing is usage. So if they surpass the five graphic a month limit on the free plan, then they would get kind of a modal that says, hey, you're you're all out of downloads for this month. Click here to upgrade your account. Okay. Ah, that's pretty slick. So you can do some powerful stuff with, with Drip based on like tracking user habits and stuff. Yeah, exactly. Because if someone signs up for your software and they don't, they haven't even logged in a second time and haven't used it, if you send them an email that's like, hey, upgrade, it's just a waste of time. Right? They're, they're never going to upgrade the account. So you basically have to have two tracks, one or at least two tracks where if they're not actively engaged, then you should be sending them content that kind of helps them figure out the value and get more engaged. And if they are engaged, then that's where you want to try to upsell them on, on the premium stuff. I'm curious on your kind of infrastructure costs at this point, if you're serving you know, thousands and thousands of free users, like that has a cost to you in terms of server space and bandwidth and all that stuff. What's it cost you to run this business? Yeah, so that's a really good question. And that's definitely one of the reasons that we we chose to do the freemium as opposed to a free trial, because our variable costs are extremely low. So we're hosted on Amazon Web Services and NS3. So our hostage and, and storage costs are very minimal. Like we're talking like a, a grand a month, okay. two grand a month. If, if you include like our stock photo site, they're, they're kind of combined. And then beyond that, it's really just the software subscriptions. So whatever it costs for Drip and Help Scout and, and, all, and the various tools that that's needed to run the business. So when you're talking about the cost per user, it's essentially minimal. Now, if you have a business like you just use an email marketing, for example, it will cost you a lot of money for people to, to send emails and stuff. So freemium might actually be really expensive in that regard. So I'm glad you brought that up because your variable cost per user will definitely have an impact on whether or not you should go freemium or not. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's talk about marketing this thing. So you guys see some initial success. Hey, you got 250 people signed up during the, the first official launch. And then, then what happens? You're trying to drive, you know, you kind of exhausted the email list at this point, or you said, hey, what else? How are you driving eyeballs to this thing? In the first couple months, we relied heavily on the cross promotion from StockSnap, and that worked really well. But obviously, at a certain point, the, the growth starts to taper off because you're sending a certain amount of leads per month. And unless that's going up, then your growth rate starts to get smaller and smaller. So obviously at that point, we try to mix in some other marketing channels. So a couple of things that worked really well in the early days, we had a few strategic partnerships that worked well. So we had done a deal with lead pages where they offered Snappa as a free bonus for anyone who upgraded to an annual plan or basically upgraded to a higher price plan. And in return, we basically gave lead pages a very good deal on the product. And so not only did we actually generate revenue from the, the promotion itself, but we actually had a lot of people who they would have got the email from lead pages and then check out our site and sign up directly with us because they didn't want or for whatever reason, they weren't ready to upgrade uh, to a lead pages account. 
Okay. Okay. So that was really powerful. And so for, for anyone who has like a product that has like a very low variable cost, such as ours, you might even consider potentially even just giving it away, going to, to someone like Lee pages and say, Hey, I've got, I've got this, you know, really cool product. I think your audience would, would get a lot of value. How would you like to give away 50 of these as, as a bonus? And really it's not going to cost you anything. And what it will do is once they send out that email, all of a sudden you've got their entire email list that knows about you now, and they'll probably come and check you out. So that was definitely very powerful. And because we're a very low price point tool and it's, pre- and it's a freemium, we need a lot of traffic and we, and we need a lot of sustainable traffic to make it work. So what we did was we worked really hard on content marketing and SEO. So we wrote a lot of content that our target audience would be searching for. So a good example of that is we have posts for Twitter header size, Facebook cover size, various social media graphic sizes, and those actually get a a lot of search volume and we were able to rank those. And so naturally when someone lands on a blog post about, you know, what the Twitter header size is, and then they see that we have a product that helps you create Twitter headers, we get quite a bit of signups through there. Okay. Okay. And similarly, we created site pages. So we have a site page for Twitter header maker, Facebook cover maker, and then we try to rank for those key terms as well. What do you mean by site page, Facebook cover maker? So most people, they have a website like snappa.com is our homepage. And you look at the content, it basically has like information about the product. Now, what most people don't is they don't have like separate pages on their site for specific features and specific use cases. So what we noticed was there's very limited search volume for graphic design tool, which is what our homepage is ranking for. But there is a lot of search volume for terms like Twitter header maker, create Twitter headers, Twitter header generator. But because our homepage doesn't really specifically target those keywords, we're not ranking our homepage for those key terms. So what we did was we created separate pages on our site to target those very specific keywords like Twitter header maker and Twitter header creator. We so every use case of Snappa, we basically have a page for it. We have a page for YouTube thumbnails, YouTube channel art, Twitter headers, Facebook covers, banner ads, social media graphics. And then that way, when someone searches for those terms, then those site pages will actually rank in the search results. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, targeting the specific use cases rather than the broad graphic design tool, you know, figuring out what people are searching for kind of related to your product. The people who are searching for that too are likely to be in that content marketing arena themselves and might be a good a good target customer. Yeah. I like the I like the strategic partnership angle as well, especially the lead pages thing. Did you guys end up doing an AppSumo deal? We didn't do an AppSumo deal, but we ended up we actually did a promo with Sumo Me, which is kind of their software tool for collecting emails. And it was worked very similar to the to the lead pages deal where they basically gave away Snap as a bonus. Um, you know, we promoted to our list, they promote to their list, and that kind of thing. Is there anything on like the paid traffic front, or is it too, or is it too, is it too inexpensive to advertise? Yeah, we we briefly did some kind of testing with that, and we just it's very difficult unless you have a high price product with very low churn. 
Anything else that spiked the membership base? The referrals from from bloggers helped. But yeah, like really the, the content and the SEO stuff, the cross promotion with Stocksnap and the partnerships, I'd say those are definitely the three big things that, that worked for us. Do, do most people do the monthly plan to start or do most people say, yeah, it's cheap enough. I'll just buy the annual thing and save some money. Or like, I'm curious, like on the lifetime value on the churn rate, because it's, like, oh, it's an annual thing. I've at least got this person locked in for a year. But I'm curious if there's anything specific that you've done to improve the lifetime value or if you have some data on that. I found that people either will choose annual right from the beginning or they'll basically stay monthly forever. There's a few people that sign up monthly and then a few months later, they're like, hey, I'm really liking this. Like, can I switch to annual? But usually it just ends up being like one or the other. In terms of lifetime value, we're at about just under $200. So what I find is there's really two types of users that we have. We have the type of people that are creating ongoing content and they tend to stick around quite a bit because they're getting a lot of value from the tool. And then you have those that really just need to create a bunch of graphics in like one month or they're doing it for like a very specific project and then they'll cancel within like, you know, a month or two. And so you kind of get these two opposite spectrums and then the net churn or the, the you know, the, the net lifetime ends up being like somewhere, converges somewhere in the middle. Well, Chris, what's next for you? I mean, you got this thing, you're still trying to grow it or are you looking at an exit? What's what's on the horizon? Yeah, so we're, we're still growing it. We're still growing pretty, pretty decently month over month. What we're really focusing on now is, is just improving the core experience. So the first year or two, we were really just trying to build out all the big features that people were kind of asking for. And the product is now at a point where we've kind of really hammered out all of the, the really key features. So now we're trying to focus more on things like personalization. So if you're in the, let's say the finance industry, having a finance or stock photos or finance templates surfacing in the app, rather than kind of having to sift through like templates that maybe aren't really relevant to you, okay. better onboarding. I think that's definitely one key area that we can improve on when when people first sign up to Snappa, have a better experience, the better first run experience. And just like small little things like being able to organize your uploads and, and, and that kind of stuff. So just really improving that really core experience that we're providing. Well, sounds good, man. So it's snappa.com if you guys want to check it out. And the stock photo site is stocksnap.io. Chris, thank you so much for joining me. Let's wrap this thing up with your number one tip for Side Hustle Nation. Think about how you're going to get customers before even building the product. And I think that's one thing that we really did well with Snappa, where we had stock Snap all geared up before we even launched Snappa. And that just made it so much easier to actually grow the product. Yeah. And I will add that applies not just for software, that applies for pretty much any product. Think about how you're going to get those customers before you go out and build it. Chris, I love it, man. Thank you so much. We'll catch up with you soon. Thanks for having me. It was fun. All right, my top takeaways from this call with Chris, number one, actually before number one, I want to highlight again the theme of opportunities popping up once you're already in motion. So just based on this call, Snapple was at least business number four in a line of stuff that Chris and his partner had started and tried. They had 
their marketplace, bootstrapbay.com. They had the stock photo site. They had the failed guest list app. And all of those contributed to Snappa in some way. So you never know where these side projects are going to lead you, but they all lead somewhere. And the only surefire road to nowhere is to stay on the sidelines waiting to get started. So takeaway number one, take stock of your existing assets. In Chris's case, it was this blog post about free stock photos that was pretty much making no money, but they turned it through a series of steps into a pretty innovative solution that's now doing over $30,000 a month in revenue. So the question is, what assets do you have? Maybe it's a blog post like Chris. Maybe it's a YouTube video that's already getting traffic. Maybe it's a skill or perceived expertise that you have. And are you underutilizing those assets like Chris was in sending all that traffic to other sites? What if you could redirect it to something a little bit more valuable for you? So that's takeaway number one, take stock of your existing assets. Takeaway number two is to do your homework. Is this really a pain point? Is this a pain point people are willing to spend money to solve? I like that Chris took the time to have one-on-one conversations with potential customers to ask about their graphic design habits. And he let those conversations guide the creation of the product rather than repeating his previous mistake of building something that customers didn't want. And I think he could have taken it one step further and asked for money up front, but in his case, he felt confident enough to move forward with the market research that he'd done and ended up working out. So that was takeaway number two, do your homework. Takeaway number three is have somebody to launch to. This follows Chris's advice of think about how you're going to get customers before building the product. They were building an email list for months in advance of the launch of Snappa. That email list was huge in this case, both in terms of validating the idea and in getting some sales and revenue in the door right out of the gate. Like Russ talked about last week, that cash flow really kind of frees up some marketing ideas and it kind of eases the burden of like, yeah, is this going to work? I think it is. One thing I thought was cool was how Chris kind of has continued to use email to drive signups by, you know, edging his way onto other lists through his strategic partnerships initiatives. So if you have a product or service, can you amplify your reach through similar strategic partnerships in your niche? Let me know. You can hit up sidehustlenation.com slash snappa to download the free PDF highlight reel with all of Chris's top tips from this conversation. That's snappa, S-N-A-P-P-A. And at that URL, you will also find links to all the resources mentioned as well. That's it for me. Thank you so much for tuning in. Until next time, let's go out there and make something happen. And I'll catch you in the next edition of the Side Hustle Show, where we're diving into one of the hottest topics out there right now. I'm trying to wrap my head around Bitcoin and what the opportunities are for side hustlers to make money in the cryptocurrency revolution. If you hit subscribe in your podcast player app, you'll have it all queued up and ready to go automatically next Thursday morning. I'll see you then. Hustle on. Thanks for listening to the Side Hustle Show at www.sidehustlenation.com.